Welcome into the newest edition of the Checkerboard Chat. It's going to be a little bit of a basketball recap today as both the men's and women's Tennessee basketball seasons came to an end in the past week. Here in the first segment, I'm Ryan Shepard, joined as always by Jeffrey Russell, our UT men's basketball beat writer. Jeffrey, Tennessee falls in the round of 64 to Oregon State, 70 to 56 in a game that really wasn't very competitive. Just what were your biggest takeaways from Tennessee's opening round loss? I think you saw a lot of the things that went wrong were the things that held Tennessee back as a team the whole season. Uh, they couldn't shoot the ball well, couldn't find a way back into the game because they couldn't shoot the ball well, uh, costly turnovers at just uh, inopportune times, and then you didn't have a post player that could step up and try to guard Roman Silva. So I think what you saw from Tennessee was just a microcosm of what they had been all season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think my biggest takeaway from the game was I was sitting there well, we were eight minutes into the game and Euros Plasic, Devontae Gaines, and Olivier Camois had all played. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be a problem for Tennessee. These guys have not played much this year. And it's kind of a, I don't know if microcosm is the right word, but you knew that was a problem all season. You're like, yeah, they have these guys. They can develop them. They can try to get something out of them where they can get constant contributions. And they never really did. They never we talked about it, never played Olivier for long periods of time, kind of let him play through mistakes. And then there they were in, a, in an NCAA tournament game, around the 64 game. And there they were. They needed him to play. They needed solid minutes from those guys. And they just they couldn't give it to him. And like you said, Tennessee didn't have the interior play that it needed. They were able to get by without focusing a little bit in the SEC tournament because Plossage played so well. But Plossage didn't play well in that game. So that was one of the biggest takeaways. And then offensively, you – you saw how much pressure was put on Keon Johnson down the stretch when Tennessee couldn't shoot the ball because Tennessee couldn't shoot the ball against Oregon State and John Fulkerson wasn't there to get interior scoring and it was all turned and put on his shoulders. And Johnson obviously didn't have a very good game, especially in the first half, didn't make his first basket until clock, the time expired, ended the game with – 14 points on 16 shots so and not a very good performance you, you like you said you saw the limitations of this offense what when the game's going on obviously I think both of us were very aware Tennessee could lose this game 5-12 upsets happen all the time Tennessee's a team that plays like they could fall to an upset at any time what were your kind of your reaction when you're watching watching the game watching things unfold I mean, I, I wanted to be shocked, but I honestly wasn't that shocked just because you'd seen these problems before, uh, you know, Tennessee playing down to its opponent, just not, you know, rising to the occasion when they needed to. And so I sitting there, I was like, OK, you kind of maybe expected them to start making a run. But then when you just kept seeing the three point shots clang off the rim or them just passing up wide open drives to the basket for a mid range jumper, it just seemed like you, you kind of knew what was coming and it was time to just get ready for the end, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I was kind of the same way. It was it was a bit of, this isn't really that surprising. It was, I guess, surprising a little bit in the degree of it, the severity of it, because, I mean, at, we've seen Tennessee struggle to score a lot, but that first half, I mean, Tennessee scored, I think, four points between under 16 and under four timeout. Granted, the under 16 timeout was at like 13 and change something, so it was a late timeout. But that was a 10-minute stretch where Tennessee had four points. I mean, that's crazy at any level of college basketball, let alone a team that made the NCAA tournament as a five seed. So you knew that was possible. It was a, it was a little bit surprising. 
I guess the other thing I'd add was the second half. It, you felt like Tennessee was going to have a run in them, a comeback in them at, at some point. And they made a couple plays, short pushes, but they could never, never really get anything too serious going. And that was kind of something I was telling people to ask me about what the fan situation was like there. What was the atmosphere like? And I was like, it's, it's hard to tell because it was like 85% Tennessee fans and they didn't really ever have anything to cheer about. I mean, there were a couple of times in the second half, really throughout the game, but I'll say the second half in particular to keep on the theme, where Tennessee got like a 4-0 run or something. They got it in the 12. And there's one instance I remember pretty clear. I think it was maybe eight minutes into the second half. Tennessee had gotten a couple baskets. They made it a 12-point game. Tennessee fans were, you know, all standing up, cheering, trying to, you know, get, a, get the team going. Tennessee got a stop. They went down. Keon Johnson looked like he got fouled on a jump shot. Didn't call it Oregon State three. Boom. Another example. This one, at this point in the game, I would have been really surprised to see Tennessee make, you know, come back and win. But it's potential they could have made things a little interesting. Right after Oregon State, you know, got the lead to 20 there, six, seven minutes left in the game. Tennessee immediately answered with a, a, probably their biggest run of the game. And then right at that under four timeout, they had Keon Johnson had that move to the basket. I think Tennessee was down by 12. Looked like it was going to be an and one. They called it on the floor. They go to the timeout. They come out of the timeout. He misses the front end of a one and one. So again, it was going to be like a nine point game if he makes that free throw with four minutes left. You're not expecting Tennessee to come back and win from that. But you think, you know, they just or went on 11 2 run or whatever. Maybe they can make things a little bit interesting. But Oregon, you know, that's a credit to Oregon State. You know, I watched that game against Oklahoma State the other night, and it was pretty similar in a lot of ways. Now, Oklahoma State got a lot closer to coming back and winning, but every single time Oklahoma State had a run for them, the, you thought, here's the better team. They're going to run away with this one. Oregon State had something to come right back and, and control the game. So, so credit to Oregon State. Moving forward a little bit, kind of looking at this season and this team as a whole, just what's going to be your longing memory or your lasting takeaway from, from this Tennessee team? Uh, a super talented team that could just never put it together when they needed to. I think it was a, a situation of when things could go wrong, they did go wrong, and they just could never really rebound from those situations. Uh, you know, no one could expect of John Fulkerson to not, you know, really find his game till the end of the season. And then when he does, he gets knocked out by an elbow. Nobody could have seen that coming. But at the same point, you did nobody, you know, you didn't progress along a post player during the regular season for just in case in that instance. And it, and it showed and it and it uh, it was uh, one of the reasons they had their downfall. So I think a, a really talented team that just couldn't put it together. Yeah, I think. You know, that's now on the head, really talented team that couldn't put it together. I think it's a team that had a lot of pieces, but was missing a couple pieces. I'm going to talk about the post post play, which is something before the season you never would have thought they were missing. That was a, turned a little bit to be not great. I'm not even going to say it was missing because, you know, Ponce was still a good post defender. Those guys weren't, for the most part, weren't hurting you out there. Now that Fulkerson had some stretches over the year where he really struggled. But you didn't have the post depth, you didn't have the bench, and you didn't have a point guard. So you had a few pieces that you were kind of missing, and Tennessee was never able to pick up pieces with their athleticism, with their talent, with their defense. They were never ever able to hold really hold things together. You know, a lot of, there's not many perfect college basketball teams. So to see a team have a few mistakes like that isn't shocking, but you you didn't you Tennessee wasn't able to have their strengths kind of keep things together and power them through stretches. And you saw that they're, 
Tennessee didn't win a lot of games this year that were low scoring games that they didn't play very good on offense. And you go back to like the 2018 team, Rick Barnes' first team that made the NCAA tournament, won the SEC, that Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, they were kind of first year where they broke out. That team wasn't all that good offensively, but they knew who they were. They knew their identity and they were able to win games on defense. And I will say a lot of that, it doesn't just fall on defense because we, we talked about this Tennessee team, when you got in the possession game in half court, they didn't know what they wanted to do offensively. They didn't have a go-to guy. And that, when you're playing low-scoring games, that's ju- just as much of it as the defense. So I don't want to hone in on the defense. Whereas that team, when it was a close game, it was low possession game, we're going to throw the ball down the ground. Williams, they had the SEC player of the year. It makes it a lot more simple. So certainly a team that had a lot of opportunities, had a lot of talent, but never really could piece everything together and hold things together enough when when the their shortcomings showed up. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I agree completely. I think they, at some points you think, you know, they had a lot of pieces, but maybe not the right pieces to put together the puzzle that they needed to put together. And I think that just killed them in the end, like you were saying. Yeah, I think that right pieces is an interesting way to phrase it, the right way to phrase it, because you look at it, and I had it in my article on Monday, kind of talking about what went wrong with this season. You look at some of the, you know, I think there's a lot of fans that are pretty critical of Barnes right now for how Tennessee did in the tournament, his coaching job over the season. And look, there, I mean, there's some things to be critical about. There are for most coaches most seasons, but you really want to look at it to me. You look at the roster management. That's where Barnes failed this team. You look the past four classes, Tennessee's post players that they have brought in, signed, some were transfers. They brought in these ponds, Derek Walker, Zach Kent, DJ Burns, Olivier Camois, Euros Plastic, Drew Pember, and then this year they brought in Corey Walker and EJ Anasicki. East Ponds was the only player in that group that's been good. EJ Anasicki, Camois, Plastic have given you a little bit, but they haven't been consistent. And then you have three guys in that mix that transferred, another three guys that haven't played. You just look at that, and that is every big man Tennessee's brought in over four years transfer, Juco, everything. It's surprising that Tennessee was a five seed in the NCAA tournament. That's that's some pretty bad roster management to overcome. So we'll talk about it a little bit more in a second. That, that that's the stuff that Tennessee going forward has to address is the is the roster roster limitations and you just have to have a more complete roster and Tennessee's I guess overall talent because this was a team that was really talented wasn't able to overcome some of those some of those downfalls. Moving forward just a little bit. Tennessee assistant coach Kim English takes the head coaching job at George Mason. He stays in Knoxville for two years and 32-year-old gets an opportunity just about an hour from his hometown of Baltimore in Washington, D.C. Just, Jeffrey, what were your initial thoughts of seeing Kim English uh, take that job and what do you think it means for the Tennessee basketball program? I think you're losing a good one if you're the Tennessee basketball program. I mean, he seems like such a high character, high quality guy. Uh, every time we got to speak to him through the media, he just seemed like he had basketball and life down pat. And that's that's somebody you want in your program if you're Tennessee basketball. So I think that stinks to lose him. But for him, uh, I think it's super impressive that he's already getting a job like this at 32 years old. I, I have no reason to not think that he won't be super talented, do really well at George Mason. He looks like he has all the qualities of a good coach. And I think that for Tennessee, you wish him well, but you hate it that he, you hate it that he left. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was 
you could tell from just his time at Tennessee that he was going to be a head coach before too long. Can't remember. I'm not going to say what job it was last year because I can't remember exactly what it was. I have a hunch, but don't want to say it and be wrong. Flirted with the job last year, didn't take it. So it's kind of one of those things where he's happy to get him for two years. And especially with the fact that getting him that second year meant he got to keep recruiting Kennedy Chandler and got Kennedy Chandler yeah. to, to commit and sign with Tennessee because he was the lead guy on Kennedy Chandler. Kennedy Chandler released a statement, you know, yesterday saying congratulating Kim English, but saying he still plans on going to Tennessee. He's not backing out of his commitment or anything. But yeah, no, it's I'll be interested to see how Kim English does because on paper I think it's a really good fit and a really good starting job for him because you go to a school like George Mason, they have some basketball history. Obviously they made the final four this century. That's the crowning one, but I think they've only made the NCAA tournament about once since that final four. So Going to a school, the expectations aren't going to be too big, but they have past history of success. They play in the A-10, so it's, they're not, he's not in a one-bid league. If he can get his team playing well, he's in a league that can get three or four bids. And then you go to the fact that Washington, D.C., just right, right around the area that he's from, you have to imagine he knows a lot of, a lot of high school coaches, a lot of AAU people in that area. And we, we saw firsthand in Knoxville what a good recruiter he is. So you would think it would work out well and he'd be able to recruit the DMV in that area of North or Southern Virginia and in Washington, DC really, really well. But moving forward and, and kind of going in next this offseason, we know the first thing on Reform's mind will be replacing Kim English. What does uh what does he do there? What does that look like? And then what are some other priorities for Barnes and his staff to tackle during each offseason? <sighs> To be honest, uh, replacing Kim English, I think you want to try to get someone. I mean, there's to be fair, there's not many guys like him, but you want to try to get somebody like him as an up and comer that's, you know, has a good mind that Rick Barnes can trust and thinks can can kind of fit in well with his players. Because I think you saw the dynamic of him being able to kind of connect more to, to the guys than, you know, a Rick could or some of the other assistant coaches could because he could actually get out on the court hoop with them and really push them in ways that, you know, some of the other coaches really couldn't. I think that really connected well with, a lot of the players and then you know some of the other offseason things that need to be handled you got to start progressing a post player whether it's somebody on your roster or somebody coming in you've got to start progressing somebody and you got to find a shooter in the in the transfer market if I'm you know Tennessee I think you don't have the shooting you need to be a successful team so you got to find somebody who can shoot the basketball yeah I, I completely agree on on all of those starting with finding English as a replacement you know, you talked about things getting out there and running around. I'll never forget, you know, we obviously weren't able to watch him practice this year, but last year we were able to go watch him practice some and first practice I ever watched. I mean, it was like he was a player. I mean, he was, it was 20 minutes in and he, the dude was drenched in sweat getting, you know, working out with the team. So I think you'd be right. Another, he'd be looking for a younger, high energy guy, guy with probably some good recruiting track records, maybe, maybe some in the South though. I don't think that's a lot. I think Barnes will have plenty of guys lining up. I think he's known for being a very good guy to work for. You look at it, he hasn't had a single assistant. He's had three assistants at Tennessee leave. They've all taken head coaching jobs. So no one's moved away to take a, another assistant coaching position. I think that says, you know, as much turnover as there is in coaching, I think that says about all you need to need on and what it's like to work for Rick Barnes. And then moving forward to kind of this offseason, you hit the nail on the head. I think with the current roster, you need at least one, if not two, of Plasage, Kamwa, and Walker able to play 15, 20 minutes a game for you next year. Now, they don't have to be a starter, but they need to be a reliable bench player. I think you need 
one of the Scoby and Bailey to really make some leaps in their game because you look at it, those were supposed to be the two shooters on this team, and the Scoby was okay shooting 37%. Victor Bailey was not very good shooting 34%. So they need those guys to be better on offense. I will say I think those guys will be benefited a ton by Kennedy Chandler, especially the I think that'll help help things out a lot for them. And then you mentioned it. I think they're going to hit the transfer portal very hard, and I think that starts with a, with a big man and then maybe even two big men. I think they got to bring in two big men. Now, one of them could still be a high school recruit. You know, I know they're looking at Brandon Huntley Hatfield, a guy in the 2022 class who's thinking about reclassifying. They're recruiting him really hard, so that would be another way to do it. But I think you have to bring in two big men, whether John Fulkerson stays or not, just because you really don't have bodies there, period. And I'm with you. I think they got to bring in a shooter in the, the transfer portal, too, or, or some sort of scoring guard, at least, someone to help the scoring load. I don't know about Justin Powell would be a guy that I don't know how high Tennessee's going after, but he was a freshman at Auburn last year, played about the first 12 games, was really good offensively, shot like 44% from three, and then had a concussion at the end of this season. And then something that's interesting is he's been – he played on the same AAU team and has been tied to Walker Kessler, who's the seven-footer transferring from North Carolina. That Tennessee wanted out of high school pretty bad. I think Kim English was actually his lead recruiter. Um, so that would be an interesting connection. Those are two guys that you would think Tennessee would be recruiting pretty hard. Now, those are two good players. The transfer portals, madhouse these days. Everyone's going to be recruiting those guys hard. Doesn't mean Tennessee's just going to get them, but would certainly be something worth watching for Tennessee. And It'll certainly be an interesting offseason because uh, the pressure is certainly kind of on Rick Barnes going into next season after two straight kind of disappointing campaigns after getting his contract extension. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think he has the pieces. He's always – you really had the pieces to be successful here. I think it's about putting it together. Like you were saying, yeah, I think a, a Walker Kessler would be huge if Tennessee could get him. I think that's a big guy with a lot of talent that's very versatile in the low post, which is something that, you know – I mean, John Fulkerson has been versatile at times in the low post, but he's also not really that big of a guy. I mean, he's 6'9", and he's pretty – you know, skinny compared to, you know, most of the players he's playing against. So I think that would be a huge addition for Tennessee. That's somebody who can really like create in the post that they haven't had in a while. Yeah. And Kessler's, uh, he didn't show it as much at UNC this year. I think they didn't want him showing it, but uh, the scouting report on him out of high school too was stretch big, can shoot the ball. Mm -hmm. You know, as it looks like Fulkerson may be coming back, he's obviously a guy that can't really do that. So you put so, you know, you don't have to have it, but it puts, uh, certainly some pressure on whoever you bring in as a big man that have a little bit of ability to shoot it and stretch the floor to help something for Tennessee. But we'll have plenty more of that this offseason as Tennessee gets into what's going to be a very important offseason and should be a pretty crazy one with the transfer portal. We will be back in segment two talking about much of the same for the Lady Balls as they fell in the round of 32 to Michigan. We'll be right back. Welcome back here for segment two at a checkerboard chat. We're going to move our focus over to Tennessee Lady Vols basketball team who had a little bit longer run in the tournament than the men's team, getting a first round 87 to 62 win over middle Tennessee before a disappointing 70 to 55 loss to Michigan in the round of 32. I'm joined now by Josh Lane, our assistant sports editor and Lady Vols beat writer. Josh, just what went well for Tennessee against NTSU and then what went uh, poorly, I guess, in the loss to Michigan? Well, uh, to start off against MTSU, I mean, Tennessee's offense was just on fire. Everything they were doing, 
is really good. And it started with Renia Davis and Ray Burrell. Of course it did. It has all year. Um, they combined 46 points, right? Uh, Davis had 24, Burrell 22. Um, I mean, they were, everything was really good. They had a, a balanced scoring attack. So you had uh, Tamari Key, Cassidy Kishkidawa in double figures as well. Um, you know, they shot well as a team. It was over 50%, I believe, shooting wise. And so, you know, just this, this, this great offensive effort, but they also, you know, they were out rebounding them. You know, that's been a big part of their game because of their size. And they had a, a huge size advantage over NTSU. And so it was like something 56 to 21 was the rebounding. So, you know, over double what NTSU had, they uh, outscored them in the paint too. That's been so big for Tennessee. So they just had that, that, that big size advantage. Everything they were doing on offense was right. All their shots were falling. They were getting good looks. Um, you know, just just not everything seemed to go right for Tennessee. And you know, there's not much that Middle Tennessee could do to stop them. But, you know, on the flip side of that against Michigan, it was it was basically the exact opposite. Right. Um, Michigan's defense was so good at, at against Tennessee, you know, at stopping their attack. It, you know, started with that terrible, terrible first half that the Lady Vols had um, 19 points in the first half. That was their lowest uh, of a half, I believe, all year. Um, seven points in the second quarter alone, which I believe was their single lowest uh, score total for one quarter. So just, you know, a terrible, terrible uh, start there. But it's really started with uh, Michigan's defense, right? They were, you know, able to pack the lanes. They were able to take away Tennessee's inside presence, their post presence. And, you know, that really showed they made them shoot from the outside. And it, it did not go well for Tennessee. But on this The day where they're playing such a good defense, of course, they're going to miss shots like that. So, you know, that's what we're on, really. Yeah, and, it, you know, it felt like Tennessee entered that first game. The way they played against MTSU, the MTSU played really well in the first half. Obviously, both the Hayes sisters had really good games, obviously really fired up to play Tennessee. The way Tennessee kind of never panicked in the first half, held, held their own, and then really took over in the second half. You had to feel good going into the Michigan game. But, look, I mean, we've talked about it all year. You've talked about it, I think, a ton in the past two weeks that, this team's really going to go as Renia Davis and Ray Burrell go. And, you know, they didn't – if neither of them play well, they don't have a chance to beat really anybody that's any good in the NCAA tournament. And, and that's what happened against Michigan as they combined for just 23 points on 25 shots. What was Michigan – I mean, you mentioned how, how well Michigan played on defense. What, what were they able to do to limit Tennessee's uh, one-two punch? Yeah, I mean, it, start, it starts with that defense. Like I said, they – they put a bunch of pressure on them. They took away that that inside uh, that you know they're scoring from the inside because we you know we always mention Tamari Key and Cassie Kushkidawa scoring in the paint at at post, but Renia Davis and Ray Burrell they love to you know go up in there for the layup for those uh, short range jumpers. And you know Michigan just totally took that away from them. And you know they made them shoot from the perimeter, and that's they're not bad there, but that's that's not where they're where they're really good at. And so you know, they just, their shots weren't falling. They weren't getting good looks because of course, with the defense that's as suffocating as this is, you start to kind of rush. You want to make up for all these points for this deficit that you're behind. So, you know, the rushing shots, they're missing layups. I think they had 17 missed layups as a team, which that's just crazy to me because, you know, you're right underneath there. You got to make those shots, but um, nothing, I don't know, nothing they were doing was falling. Like they said, terrible first half. They combined for four points. Davis and Burrell did in the first half. So, you know, they, they took away their, their inside presence. They made them shoot from the outside and it, it didn't go well, right. They were uncharacteristically bad at shooting. Um, you know, they had 
I think Renaya Davis had four field goals. Burrell was four for eight, but that those eight shots that she took was a season low. So, you know, like I said, that suffocating defense of Michigan really, really took away Tennessee's punch there. Yeah, and it's, you know, one of the similarities from how they were able to, to get shut, Michigan was able to shut down Tennessee. It sounds a lot like what happened to the men's team, you know, force clog the paint, force them to shoot jump shots. And, and it's funny, you said the I hadn't even noticed that it was 19 points in the first half and the, the Lady Balls game, that was the same number. Tennessee <laughs> men's team scored in the first half against Oregon State. Both of those were season, season lows mm-hmm. as the offense kind of came back to bite both teams. But uh, pretty, you know, certainly different in atmosphere doing the post game on Zoom and just not having an open locker room, but still seemed like a pretty emotional uh, Tennessee team post game yesterday. What, what were some takeaways from what Renia Davis and uh, Coach Harper had to say? Yeah, yeah, very emotional because look, we mentioned Renia Davis. That was her last game as a tennis as a Lady Vol, and she is, you know, she's one she's one of the all time greats here. Um, I mean. I've got I've got a few stats. I won't read all of them, but like fourth in double double, she had 39. She's top 10 in scoring, you know, top 10 in rebounds, points per game, rebounds per game, free throws, shots, all these, all these numbers. I mean, she's one of the all-time greats here at the Lady Vols. And and everybody knows that that this was not the way that they wanted to end their season. They wanted to make a, a much deeper run in the playoffs or you know, the tournament. So to go out this way, that's that's really tough for them because they've got a couple of really good seniors here that have you know, that stuck with the Lady Vols um, under the coaching change when so many players, I mean, we mentioned Hayes, we saw some with UConn, you know, a bunch of other players, Lady Vols transferred out, you know, with the coaching change that happened from Warlick to Davis, but, you know, Davis and Cassie stayed. And so, you know, the fans, they really, they really built up that, that love for those players. So did the teammates. Um, you know, obviously they're both tremendous players from Nia Davis is one of the all-time greats, but yeah, just really emotional because, because they know that, that was the last time that they're all going to be together. And, you know, they were, but they were really thankful for this opportunity because all year, all years been super uncertain how far we would make it. Of course, last year tournament canceled this year, there was always that chance. And so just for them to, I guess, to make it this far, they were, they're extremely grateful about that, but definitely sad for how it ended. Yeah, certainly a little bit of bittersweet in, in that sense and talked about it, you know, those two sticking with Tennessee and obviously a little bit of a resurgent season for the Lady Vols got back. I mean, never dropped out of NCAA tournament back in a three seed in, in the higher role. You know, what's kind of the lasting memory of, of this team, you think, to the fan base and how much of this kind of resurgent? I mean, I don't want to say we're back, mindset. I don't think people were really were saying that this year. But, you know, things going in the right direction, how much of that momentum or lasting thought you think is hurt by the the early bounce of the NCAA tournament yeah I mean I I hope not a lot because this team was so good all year but just it's the nature of of the tournament and you know your whole season rides on one game and that's that's what a lot of people remember but you know you got to look back at this year because they were so good all year they were such a fun team to watch and to cover and frankly they you know were exceeding expectations all year right they projected to finish six in the SEC, they finished third, right? They went nine and four in the conference. Um, I mean, just exceeded expectations all year, of course. In Harper's second year, we were a little unsure, you know, how it was go. She's, you know, I won't say she picked up the program in a bad spot necessarily, but definitely not at the caliber that they've been, you know, the last, you know, couple of decades or so. So to see the, the turnaround, I mean, they made huge strides forward this year. I mean, we talk, Ray Burrell broke out this year. Tamara Key had a really nice year. So you had some great player development. 
but in I mean unfortunately it's I hope it's it's not going to be remembered only for this loss but that's just kind of the nature of this game and how things work yeah certainly it's it's a tournament sport and a postseason sport and it's you can make a lot of uh, a lot of stuff in the regular season disappear by playing good in March. You know, you see that with a lot of teams in, in both the men's and women's tournament every year. They they remember what you do in March, but certainly in the long term, it's it's almost more important what you do throughout the season as that shows more of the trajectory and growth of the program. And I will say, I think the one thing that really will get this team, you know, the thing one thing this team did accomplish that will get them kind of remembered for a while is that win over South Carolina, just because. In South Carolina's long, whatever it was, 32-game SEC winning streak, beating the number two team in the country. And, you know, that's just a, a win this program hadn't had in, in a couple of years. So I think people will remember them for that. But certainly a little bit of the shine taken off by a second-round bounce in the NCAA tournament. Going forward in the next year, Renaya Davis, you mentioned that she's she's gone. The go-to player for the Lady Vols really the past three years just – where does Tennessee go from here and what, what should be some of the goals Kelly Harper's program and herself need to accomplish during this all season? Right. Well, I mean, mentioning Rania Davis and you kind of hate to word it like this, but they're going to have to replace Rania Davis somehow. And of course she's been such a, such an important figure in Lady Vols basketball over the last couple of years, you know, been one of their top players, but they're going to have to find someone going forward or maybe a combination of people which is I think is more likely just to kind of you know pick up that that hole that she's going to leave and you know Ray Burrell she had a tremendous year she'll definitely be probably their best player next year the biggest part of this team going forward I mentioned Tamara Key she so showed that she could be a a really nice scorer really good defender um, from the post position they got you know a couple of really nice freshmen that didn't play as much this year but like Destiny Salary, Tess Darby, Marta Suarez, they had some nice minutes this year. So, you know, they're going to have to kind of, I don't want to say by committee necessarily, but they are going to have to fill in that gap of Renaya Davis. But an, another another area they're going to have to address would be like shoring up the, the point guard position because that was kind of an issue for them all year, right? They brought in Jordan Walker from, from Western Michigan and, you know, she had plenty of experience there, but she didn't, she wasn't bad. She just wasn't as good as they were hoping for. And so, you know, you've got Jordan Horson too at that position there, but, and she, she had her flashes at times. She led the team in an assist, but she was also second on the team in turnovers. And so from, you know, point card position, that's not a great combination, right? They've got mentioned destiny salary. She's another one at the point guard position, or maybe, maybe some recruit that they bring in, but I don't know. Those two areas, they're going to be very important going forward uh, for Lady Vols. Uh, definitely, that point guard position, though, I think is pretty important for them. Yeah, not a ton of lost pieces, not a ton of seniors on this team, but when, when one has as big of a role as Renaya Davis, it's certainly a huge piece. And I think you had down to having Jordan Horston, a player that obviously, I don't want to say player to watch her now, because obviously you've got nothing to watch from her, but she's a player that Tennessee needs to develop and get more out of because she's the talent's there and you've seen it. She's flashed at times the past two years, but need better consistency and you talk about it she's out of position that Tennessee really struggled at times this year in point guard so they need more consistency from here her they're going to need probably more scoring from her next season than they have in the past so it'll be interesting to see how she balances that aggression with not not turning the ball over which we have as you mentioned has been an issue for her but that'll do it for the Lady Vols segment just mentioning on the way out we're not going to get into a ton of it today but Tennessee baseball team started out SEC play strong with a 2-1 
win or two one series win at Georgia winning games on Friday and Sunday, dropping the Saturday game on a walk off. And we'll have complete coverage as they come home this weekend to Lindsey Nelson Stadium to play a three game set with LSU. So we'll have complete coverage at UTDailyBeacon.com and we'll get more on the baseball team in next week's edition of the Checkerboard Chat. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ryan Schumpert, joined by Josh Lane.